0: Praise the Lord. We're in the book of Ephesians chapter number 5. And um, what's happening as we get into the Word of God is we're establishing and sinking our roots so that um, they will be forever established and that uh, when the, the struggle comes, when the trial comes, then we'll have tap roots into the Word of God to be able to receive and gain strength and nourishment. Amen. We're going to be studying uh, the book of Ephesians chapter number five, but we're going to be focusing on verses number one through 17, uh, for our study tonight. And then next Wednesday, should the Lord tarry, we will finish out the uh, fifth chapter of the book of Ephesians, Ephesians chapter one, uh, chapter five, verses one through 17, focus on the way, uh, continuing the way that we should walk. And of course, uh, um, chapter 4, we talked about walking in unity and walking in purity. And in uh, uh, chapter 5, we're going to be talking about imitating our Father. But just to get that concept, let's read verse 1 of chapter 5 together. It says, Be ye therefore followers of God as dear children. The word that's translated followers here is the word Mimics. So really this verse of scripture is saying, be ye imitators of God as beloved children. What Paul is saying here is that children tend to become like their parents. And this is a fact that can be a good thing, can be encouraging, and also it can be embarrassing to those of us that have children. And uh, there are times in my life, I saw my brother this week and I, Saw my dad 's traits coming through in my brother, no, no doubt he sees the same in me, and then traits from my mother, and we are imitators of our parents that 's where we learn um, our actions, our reactions, our attitudes, and stuff like that. Children probably learn more by watching and imitating than by any other way. The Bible here is telling us the Word of God is saying, Be ye imitators of God, just as if you were his children because you are his children' As dear children, like dear children, be imitators of God. Amen. If we're imitator or if we're children of God, then we ought to imitate our Father. And uh, this is what the Bible is telling us here, saying we know that God is love. So the first part of uh, our study tonight will focus on, since God is love, we should walk in love. And then we know that God is light. Amen. The Bible says in First John, John 1 and 5 that God is light. So we should walk as children of light. And then finally, we know that God is truth. So we should walk in wisdom. We'll be focusing on this as imitators of our fathers. We're going to walk in love. We're going to walk in light. And we're going to walk in wisdom. Amen. Praise the Lord. And all of these walks, walking in love and light and in wisdom, is all about walking pure before the Lord. Hallelujah. Jesus, we thank you for your word and for the life change that it has already produced in each of our lives, Lord God. For when we heard the gospel and agreed with it and obeyed it, Lord Jesus, we know that uh, our lives were transformed. And we pray that you'd continue that uh, act of transformation in our life today through the power of your holy word. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. God bless you, and you may be seated. We're going to go verse by verse, verses 1 through 17, uh, together through the word of God. Amen. Turn this on, All right, we're going to start out by reading verses 1 and 2 of Ephesians chapter 5, and the theme is walk in love. Be therefore followers or imitators or mimics of God as dear children, and walk in love as Christ also hath loved us and hath given himself for us an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet smelling savor now this uh, uh instruction here that we are to walk in love the way that Christ loved us has to do with the last two verses of chapter 4 of uh Ephesians that we studied last week now hopefully most of you understand that when Paul wrote the letter to the church in Ephesus it wasn't divided up into chapters and verses And sometimes when we study the Bible, we just turn to a chapter and start studying there. When in reality, in order to get the context for what we're reading, we have to go to the chapter before because it's a continuation of a thought. This is the case here uh, because this instruction for us to walk in love ties into the last two verses of chapter 4 where Paul has warned us against bitterness and anger. Let me read those two verses if you look at verse 31 and 32 of chapter 4 says, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice and be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. And it's because of this what the Lord has forgiven us of. We should walk in love. Amen. And these attitudes of bitterness and anger, and speaking evil and backbiting and malice it's tragic when these attitudes show up in the family of God amen and it takes real love in the heart for uh there the bible says that charity or love shall cover up a multitude of sins in 1st peter chapter 4 and verse 8 and so since we're all human beings we should overflow with the love of God amen So that uh, when someone wrongs us within the family of God or we're perceived that they have wronged us, that forgiveness and love and charity would be flowing. Amen? So in this passage, just these two verses, he gives us several reasons why we ought to walk in love. First of all, the reason why a Christian should walk in love is in verse 1. As dear children, we are God's child. We are God's child, is the first uh, reason. We've been born again, the Bible says, through faith in Jesus Christ. And since God is love, we have been born of love, right? When you're born again of the water and the Spirit, you're born of love. So it's logical that God's children, we are God's children, we've been begotten by His Word, that we should walk in love because we're children of God, amen? and the old nature the old sinful nature that was in us before we met and and uh, accepted and received god's transforming power and would like to crop up in our life again if we let it that old nature is basically selfish And for this reason, that old nature builds walls and declares war on people. But the new nature is loving. Amen. Instead of building walls, it builds bridges and proclaims peace. Because that's the nature of Christ in us. Amen. Amen. The second reason, we're not only God's child, but we're his beloved. Because Christ also hath loved us. We're his child and he has loved us. We ought to walk in love because we're his beloved. Beloved, that He has loved us. Uh, Amen. And uh, we are born into a loving relationship with the Father. And that loving relationship with our Father ought to result in us showing love to Him by the way that we live. Amen. And then the the second verse goes on. And hath given Himself for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling savor the third reason we ought to walk in love is because we as christians were purchased with a great price amen john 15:13 says greater love hath no man than this than a than a man would lay down his life for a friend right but then romans chapter 15 take uh, chapter 5 i'm sorry takes it a step further and said god laid down his life for us when we weren't his friends But when we were at enmity with him, when we were his enemies, the Lord laid down his life for us. So our love for him is the response to his love for us. When we finally recognize and accept God's love, our response ought to be to love him. Amen? In this passage, the Apostle Paul is comparing Jesus Christ's sacrifice on the cross as the Old Testament offering of a sweet-smelling savor. It's a comparison between what Jesus did on the cross and what they did in the Old Testament as they would offer up incense or worship to the Lord. Amen? In the temple. The idea behind the sweet savor is simply that the the sacrifice is well-pleasing to God and that the death of Christ satisfied the holy law of God and therefore is acceptable and pleasing to God. The sacrifice on the cross was a sweet-smelling savor. It was pleasing. It was efficacious. It worked. It met the need. And it was acceptable and pleasing to God. So Paul tells us, first of all, that we ought to walk in love because love is the fundamental. It is the foundation factor in the Christian life. Amen? Praise the Lord. We need to be reminded of that in the body of Christ that we are to love one another. Amen? That we are to love one another. And if we walk in love, we will not disobey God. And we will not injure other people. Right? Praise the Lord. Because the Bible says in Romans 13, 8, He that loveth another hath fulfilled the law. Amen? Praise the Lord. So we walk in love. Let's go further. Beginning with verse uh, 3 here. We are instructed that not only do we walk in love, but we walk as children of light before we read we we know that God is light and we are imitating our father we're imitating God and so light should be in us as well since God is light we ought to walk in the light and have nothing to do with the darkness of sin amen as children of light praise the Lord and so in this passage of scripture Paul gives three descriptions of believers to prove his point. Well, look at these. These are the three. We're described as saints in verses 3 and 4. We're described as kings or part of the kingdom in verses 5 and 6. And then the main, the bulk of uh, the reading, verses 7 through 14, we are described as light. We are described as light. So the first one, we are saints, verses 3 and 4. Let's read verse 3 together. It says, but fornication and all uncleanness or covetousness, let it not be once named among you as becometh saints. Everybody say saints. Your saints. So since your saints walk in love and let not fornication, uncleanness, covetousness be named among you, neither filthiness nor foolish talking nor jesting, which are not convenient, but rather... Giving of thanks. We are saints. And the word saints simply means not people that are perfect, but those that are set apart and no longer belong to the world of darkness. Amen. Everybody understand in the scripture, we'll talk about this a little bit at length tonight, is that God always throughout scripture draws a strong distinction between darkness and light. Particularly in a New Testament Christian's life, we're leaving behind darkness and we're living in light. We have been first Peter two nine says specifically, we have been called out of darkness into his marvelous light. We have been called out. Everybody say called out. That's what saints mean, set apart, called out of darkness, called into the marvelous light of Jesus Christ. So Really, the point is if you're a saint of God, you've been called out of darkness and it is beneath the dignity of a saint to indulge in sins that belong to the world of darkness. Amen. And in this particular uh, passage, he warns specifically, he names a few of these sins, but names specifically sexual sins, fornication and uncleanness, which were very prevalent in that day and are prevalent in our day and uh, it's a shame if these things, fornication which is sexual activity outside of marriage and uncleanness come into the body of Christ and uh, we must stand as individuals apart from a life that would accept those kinds of activities and sins. Can I get an amen? But then it goes on and names covetousness and it seems like it's maybe ill-placed, right next to fornication, covetousness, which means to what something that doesn't belong to you. But the two sins of fornication and covetousness are just different expressions of the same basic weakness of the human nature, the fallen, darkened human nature. And that is uncontrolled appetite. Uncontrolled appetite. This is the basis of most of these sins of the flesh, appetites that are out of control. The fornicator and the covetous person each desire to satisfy the appetite by taking what does not belong to them. Come on now. The fornicator takes what does not belong to him or her. The The covetous person does the same. In 1 John 2 and 16, it talks about the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eye. Lust of the flesh, fornication. Lust of the eye, covetousness. And these, this verse describes these two sins. And, and the Apostle Paul says, don't let there be a hint of it. Don't let it be named once among you. Don't let this be spoken of, of the body of Christ. Let it not be named once among you among the believer let not there be even a hint of these sins the apostle paul declares and and uh then in verse 4 he begins to talk about the tongue everybody say the tongue he begins to talk about the most unruly member of our bodies that if we can control our tongue then the whole body is controlled that it that if you can bridle the tongue that the tongue is like the uh rudder of a ship that is able to direct and control it another place i saw this in scripture the other day it, it said the tongue is like a fire that's able to destroy and burn up a village amen so there's power in a tongue for good and for evil and verse 4 he begins to warn against sins of the tongue or speaking which are really sins of the heart because out of the heart the mouth speaketh amen so it's 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 not difficult to see that there is a connection between the sins, fornication, uncleanness, covetousness in verse 3 and the sins of the mouth in verse 4, filthiness or foolish talking or jesting, which are not convenient. They are connected together because people who have appetites that are out of control for things of the flesh usually cultivate a base kind of speech and humor, right? Things that they think about, then they end up talking about. See, here, here's the deal. When you're when you're a child of God, we should see nothing humorous and obscene language, obscene jokes. The Bible talks about foolish talking. That's not just innocent humor, but rather senseless conversations that cheapens the man and does not build up and edify. Amen. And uh, some people read this verse and say, "Foolish talking." Well, he. The Apostle Paul is warning us against small talk. We should only talk about the things of God. Understand the Apostle Paul is not speaking or condemning small talk because much of our conversation falls into that classification. But he is condemning foolish talk that accomplishes no good purpose. Also, he talks about jesting. With our mouth, we should not let filthiness or foolish talking or jesting. And some people think, well, this is a a condemnation of all joking, but really the word jesting comes from the Greek word that means able to turn easily, able to turn easily. You ever been around somebody that no matter what you're talking about, they turn it to something dirty or off color. This is what the word of God is speaking about here is that, uh, uh, people that are able to turn everything into a joke that has a little bit of a, um uh, A bad side to it. And uh, the gift of wit is a good thing. It's a blessing being able to catch things and be witty. But when it is attached to a filthy mind or a base motive, this gift of wit becomes a curse. It turns to jesting or the ability to turn things. And uh, there are quick witted people who can pollute any conversation with jests that are always inconvenient and out of place. Amen? But the Bible says let's not do that, but let's rather give thanks. Wouldn't that be more appropriate? Amen. Wouldn't it be more appropriate to give thanks and be grateful for what the Lord has done? So we ought to walk in the light because we are saints. Everybody say saints. We've been called out of darkness. We've been called into light. So let's not let our conversation and lifestyle be once again, uh, become murky with darkness. Let me just go ahead and say here while I'm here, not in my notes, but I just want to say this. Uh, I believe that, uh, As Christians, we need to be careful in our entertainment world that we live in, the things that we allow ourselves to be entertained by. Because there's a connection here. Because the people that do these things in verse 3 talk about them in verse 4. And the people that talk about these things in verse 4 end up doing them in verse 3 because it's a connection, amen? It's just the base human sinful nature. And if we talk about these things then we end up engaging in them. Amen. The Bible says in one place in, in the book of Romans, uh, chapter one, it says that there are people who not only do these sins, but delight in them that do them, which I I I, I see in that passage that, that if you enjoy watching it, observing it, uh, the voyeurism in the world today that uh, has brought the entertainment industry to such a high level of interest in people's lives can produce. So, so the thing is, is you got to learn how to, Gauge, amen, and and measure what it is that you're allowing you and your family to be entertained by, amen? Come on now. You've got to be careful because this should not be named once among us because we are saints. We've been called out of darkness and it should be uncomfortable for us. Praise the Lord. Secondly, in verses 5 and 6, it talks about us being a part of the kingdom. For this ye know... That no whoremonger, nor unclean person, nor covetous man, once again covetousness mentioned, who is an idolater, hath any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. So this verse is saying, guess what? You have an inheritance in the kingdom. You are a king and a prince. Amen? Verse 6. Let no man deceive you with vain words. For because of these things cometh the wrath of God... Upon the children of disobedience because of these sins that he is mentioning. And remember, my brothers and sisters, this is New Testament. This is the dispensation of grace. But the apostle says, you've been called out of darkness into light. As children of God, you should reject the sins of darkness and the lifestyle and even the conversation of darkness and embrace. Amen. Amen the light of God. When we trusted in Christ, the Bible lets us know in John chapter 3 and verse 3 that we entered into the kingdom of God, right? Amen. Remember what Nicodemus, Jesus said to Nicodemus, except a man be born of the water and spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. It's a kingdom that we are a part of. And Paul makes it clear that people who deliberately and persistently Find themselves living in sin will not share in God's kingdom. You can't be living in sin and be a part of God's kingdom. Galatians chapter 5, verse 21. Uh, Brother Chris, can you look that up for me? Galatians 5, verse 21. The passage of scripture is telling us here that when you are a sinner and sin continues to be manifest in your life, that you cannot be a part of God's kingdom. Amen. Read that for us. Verse 21 of Galatians 5. Amen. Those that practice these things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. You will not be this king in the kingdom. If you continue in the works of darkness, I'm just reiterating when the Apostle Paul says that God's grace and mercy saved us. We weren't saved by our good works, but we are saved, amen, to reject the life of darkness. Now, the word here that's translated uh, that no whoremonger will be uh, given an inheritance in the kingdom of God. The word whoremonger is a translation of the Greek word. The Bible was originally written in Greek, and what word is there is the word pornos, pornos, which is translated to whoremonger, which is obviously where we get the word pornography meant from. And the word pornos or whoremonger means one who practices fornication or illicit sex. And once again, there's this reinforcement that uh, illicit sex, sex outside of marriage is not acceptable in the kingdom of God. Let it not be named once among you. Amen. Now, understand that uh, these warnings deal with someone who practices these sins, not the fact that somebody sinned once in their life, but uh, because we know in the Bible that David committed adultery, but God forgave him. Amen. And one day took him to heaven. We know the Bible says that. Certainly, David was disciplined for his sin, but he was not rejected by God. But here's the point. In the Apostle Paul's day and in the day that we're living in today, there are, there were and are false Christians who argue that believers can live in sin and get away with it. Right? Amen. This is the basic foundation of the doctrine of eternal security. And uh, that uh, some people's lifestyle And things that they allow into their life and things that they do and they feel justified by it is because there are false Christians and false teachers. They were in Paul's day and they're here today that say you can, since you're saved by God's grace and mercy, not by your acts of uh, righteousness, then you can continue to live in sin. They may not come out and say it, but doctrinally this is what it establishes in an honest believer's heart who is easily deceived. Be not deceived. Be not deceived. The Bible says these people will not have their part in the kingdom of God. And although we were saved by grace, and they say, go ahead and sin that God's grace may abound, Paul answered this foolish argument in Romans chapter 6. Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? It's the old nature. It's darkness. Now we're walking in light. Amen. And God judges sin Wherever he finds it, whether it's in the heart of an unbeliever or a believer, and he sure enough doesn't want to find it in the life of one of his own children. How many are a child of God and grateful that you're a child of God? I'm going to tell you right now that a true Christian will prove the reality of his or her faith by an obedient life. Well, it's faith is all that matters. Well, Faith is made manifest by a life that is obedient to the word of God and submitted, amen, to God's purity and righteousness and the light that should be evident in the life of a believer, amen? A Christian is not sinless, but a Christian should sin less and less and less and less, amen? Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. So we as Christians and believers, we are kings. We are a part of the kingdom of God. And it's beneath our dignity to indulge in the practices of the lost world that's outside the kingdom of God. Amen. Because we're kings. Finally, verses 7 through 14, the Bible says we are light. Not just in the light, but we are light. You notice the subtle difference here. We are light. Let's read this passage together. Be ye not therefore partakers with them. Don't partake in their sin. Verse 8. For ye were sometimes darkness, but now are ye light in the Lord. Did I read that right? Now are ye light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. He didn't say you were in darkness, but now you're in light. He said you were darkness, but now you are light. Amen. Verse 9, for the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness and righteousness and truth. Verse 10, proving what is acceptable unto the Lord. 11, and have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness. So light has fruit. It's the fruit of the Spirit. Goodness, righteousness, and truth. Darkness doesn't have any fruit. It's unfruitful. There's works, but they're unfruitful. And it says, not only have no fellowship with them, but reprove them. Amen? For it is a shame even to speak of those things which are done of them in secret. Verse 13, but all things that are reproved are made manifest by the light, for whatsoever doth make manifest is light. Wherefore he saith, awake thou that sleepest, and rise from the dead, and Christ shall give thee light. You see this theme over and over again, darkness, light, amen, unfruitful works of darkness, uh, the fruit of the Spirit. So you see this contrast here between darkness and light. And the Bible says we should walk, amen, we should walk like our Father because we are in the light. And the fact that we are in the light is the main thrust of this passage that we're studying, and Paul was admonishing and instructing Christians to walk as children of light. Now, I want you to put your finger or a bookmark or a sheet of paper or something in your in your Bible there, and I want you to turn with me to second Corinthians chapter number six verse fourteen we're going to read a passage of scripture together that uh is kind of a parallel passage to this that reinforces this idea of a distinction between darkness and light and how that we as Christians should reject darkness and embrace light 2 Corinthians chapter 6 number 14 says and we'll read through verse 1 of chapter 7 says be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers for what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness. And what communion, or close fellowship, hath light with darkness? And what concord had Christ with Belial, or Christ with Satan? And what part hath he that believe, believeth with an infidel? And what agreement hath the temple of God with idols For you are the temple of the living God, as God hath said, I will dwell in them and walk in them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Wherefore, come out from among them, and be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you, and will be a father unto you, and ye shall be my sons and daughters, saith the Lord Almighty." Having therefore these promises, dearly beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. Amen. There is a difference or a distinction between darkness and light, between righteousness and and holiness between Christ and Satan, between the temple of God and between idols. Amen. It's a a difference. And God said, I called you out of darkness. I called you out of all of that sin. And I called you out so that you could walk in the light. So cleanse yourself and perfect holiness in your life. We're in a process, brothers and sisters. We're in a process of God's holiness being perfected In our lives by walking in the light. Now back to our text, verse number 8. Ye were sometimes darkness, now are ye light. Paul did not say that we were in the darkness, but that we were darkness. Before we were saved, that was our nature. That was who we were. That was how we were born to be. A slave to the lust of the flesh. But now that we are saved, the Bible says, what communion hath light with darkness? You are light, so why are you hanging out with darkness? You are light. Why are you partaking in the activities and the lusts that are related to darkness? And he says here, light produces fruit, fruit of the Spirit. But the works of darkness are unfruitful as far as spiritual things are concerned. So it's impossible to be in darkness and light at the same time. That's why when you begin to allow sin in your life, God's power exits stage left. Right? When we begin to allow filthiness of the flesh to find a place in our life, whether it's lust of the flesh, lust of the eye, Filthy conversation. God does not feel comfortable in that setting. Know ye not that you are the temple of God? Don't defile the temple by what you do and what you look at and how you act and how you dress and so forth. Don't defile this holy temple. Your body is the temple of God. Amen. And Jesus had much to say. We could do a whole study on all the things that Jesus had to say about the difference between light and darkness. 5.16 of Matthew. Jesus said, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. So light is connected to good works. Light is not just something I am on the inside because I've been changed. It's something that shines forth through my good works. Amen. Darkness was evident in my life through evil works but now light is through good works. And then in John 3, verse 20 and 21, Jesus said, Everyone that doeth evil hateth the light, neither cometh to the light, lest his deeds should be reproved. But he that doeth truth cometh to the light, that his deeds may be made manifest, that they are wrought in God. Amen? Praise the Lord. So to walk as children of light means to live before the eyes of God, not having to hide anything. Those that are in the truth want to come into the light. Got nothing to hide. Those that are in darkness don't want to be in the light because they don't want their deeds to be reproved. They don't want to receive correction. Amen? Now, it's relatively easy to hide things from other people because they can't see your hearts and minds. But the Bible says in Hebrews 4.13, all things are naked and open unto the eyes of him whom we have to do. The Lord can see all things. Amen. And uh, whenever I have to get on an airplane and they have us walk through the x-ray machine, it's a little annoying sometimes. But I don't mind because I don't have anything to hide. Right? I don't have anything to hide. I'm happy to do so. Amen. And walking as children of light means that we walk in the light because we're not hiding anything. Amen. We've got to be open with God. All of us have been there before. And one time or another in our Christian experience, we're trying to hide things from God. And we come and try to act like everything's okay. Everything's not okay. Amen. We need God's light to come in and correct and reveal and and the works of darkness to be reproved in our life. Amen or else they will destroy us. Hallelujah. So walking as children of light means letting God's light shine in and show everything to us. Make it known to us. But walking as children of light also means revealing God's light to other people in our daily lives. Through our character and our conduct we bring the light of God into a dark world amen we make the light manifest we help others find their way in christ we know that somebody who's not saved the bible says their mind is blinded they're in darkness but when we come around all of a sudden the light begins to shine things become clear things make sense that didn't make sense before amen and it takes a healthy person to assist somebody who's sick And a child of God is the one that can lead a lost person out of darkness into God's light. Amen? And light also has the ability to expose something that's wrong. Right? Uh, I doubt if there's any surgeons in the Los Angeles area that would be willing to operate, do brain surgery on you in the dark. Why? Because it's a delicate surgery. Don't do it heart surgery on me in the dark because you can make a false move and take a life. And, uh, uh an artist, no matter how skilled he or she is, is not going to want to try to paint a painting in the darkness because the light reveals the truth. The light reveals and exposes the true character of things that are happening about us. And, uh, this, this explains why the unsaved person has no interest in coming to church stays clear of the church and doesn't like to read the Bible very much because God's light begins to reveal his or her true character and the exposure is not very complimentary, amen? It thrusts and pushes and drives people to a place of repentance. It says, God, I realize even though I'm trying to fool everybody, I'm not right with you and I need you to help me. I need a change of thinking. I need a change of mind. Hallelujah. Jesus said, John twelve forty six, I am come a light into the world. He said to his disciples, you guys, you guys are the light of the world. And uh, while Jesus was on the earth, his character was perfect and pure. And it exposed the sinfulness of those around him. That's why the religious leaders hated him. Because they couldn't find fault with him. They sought to destroy him. Now, verse 12 gives us a little caution. When we reprove the unfruitful works of darkness, be careful because it's a shame even to speak of those things which are done of them in secret. So it's not necessary for the believer to perform an autopsy on a rotting corpse to determine that it's rotten. Sometimes people feel like, oh, I need to study this out some. Study the works of darkness because I need to know what I'm dealing with here. And they end up exposing themselves to sin and being corrupted thereby. Amen. Some of the things you just don't even want to talk about. You don't even want to think about. You don't even want to discuss them. Amen. Hallelujah. All he has to do is turn on the light. When you think of the light you think of waking up to a new day and here it refers here awake thou that sleepest. And arise from the dead. It's talking about resurrection. He's painting this picture like on Easter morning when Jesus Christ arose from the dead. It was a dawning of a new day for the world. And People who are not yet believers are sleeping in sin and death. And they need to be awakened. But Christians better not be sleeping in sin and in death. Because we hold the key to many people we come in contact with. Amen. We hold the key to their hope by being alive and by, by being walking in the light. We've got to walk in the light because we are light. Amen. We have been raised from the dead through faith in Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. So we ought to walk in light as opposed to darkness. All right. The last two verses of Scripture that we're studying tonight, verses 15 and through 17, three verses, instruct us to walk in wisdom. Let's read together. See then, because of all this, that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise. Be careful how you walk. Redeeming the time, because the days are evil. Wherefore, be ye not unwise. Walk circumspectly. Walk with your eyes open. Use your head. Don't walk unwise but understand in all this that God's will is being done. Find out what the will of the Lord is. Let's look man this is some rich couple three verses here. See then that you walk Circumspectly circumspect comes from two Latin words. anybody want to find out something deep? These two words Latin words that make up the word circumspect are the two words looking and around looking around looking around, being vigilant, being watchful. The Greek word carries the the idea of being precise and being accurate. See that you walk carefully with exactness is the meaning when it says circumspectly. Walk carefully. Walk with exactness. The opposite of circumspectly would be to walk around carelessly without proper guidance and without proper forethought. See, when you live for God, some people say, well, I've got the Holy Ghost. I'm just going to let my life go however. We cannot leave the Christian life to chance. We've got to walk with exactness. We've got to walk carefully. And here's some reasons why we've got to walk this way. The Bible lets us know. We've got to make wise decisions and seek to do the will of God. Amen. Praise the Lord. Now, verse 14 that we just read before. Verse 14 says, Awake thou that sleepest; Arise from the dead. Christ will give you light. Then it says, See that you walk in circumspectly, not as fools. They're connected together. Paul seems to be saying, don't be sleepwalking. Wake up, open your eyes, make the most of the day. Take advantage of the day. And it's sad. It's sad. It's sad, sad, sad as a pastor, as a spiritual leader to see people who are professed Christians that drift through their life like sleepwalkers who never really make the most of the opportunities that God has given to serve the Lord and to live for Christ. They just mumble and bumble through life, even though they have been brought to life by Christ's power. And Paul is instructing us and telling us, be careful, walk carefully, walk wisely, not as fools. You are Christians. And Paul gives several reasons why we ought to be accurate and careful in the way that we walk, right here in these verses. First of all, he says, it's a mark of wisdom that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise. Walking with your eyes open, walking carefully, being precise, is a mark of wisdom. Only a fool drifts with the wind and the tide with no direction to their life. What does a wise person do? He marks out his course. He sets his sails intentionally. He guides the rudder of the ship until he reaches his destination. Right? Because he's wise. When someone sets out to build a house or a church building, he first draws the plans so he knows what he's doing. Amen? I saw this house. There's this house in my hometown that this man just builds on to whenever he feels like it. He's like a carpenter, but he doesn't understand planning. And it is the most crazy looking house you've ever seen. It's got like a a wall popped out here and a little room here and like something up top. I mean, if you could see it sometimes, you would laugh because it's it's hilarious. And this person's proud of this thing. But he didn't make any plans. Amen. But a planned life can better deal with unexpected events because unexpected events are coming into all of our lives. Amen? But when our life is ordered, when we walk circumspectly, when we walk carefully with our eyes open, looking around and letting our steps be ordered by wise decisions and by God's direction, then we can deal with the trials of life that come along. So we ought to walk with our eyes open because because it's a mark of wisdom. Another reason, verse 16, redeeming the time. What does that mean? It means, Brother Brown, you better be done in, in Ten minutes now. You better go quick. Time's limited. Time is limited. Everybody say time is limited. Amen. We've got to take advantage of the time we've been given. I'm going to tell you, it's a wake-up call. When you wake up and you turn around and your daughter that was a baby is now seven, and you wake up and you realize that you're a middle-aged person instead of a young person, and you realize, whatever I'm going to do for God, I've got to do it now. Life is short. God's given us an opportunity. We need to get rid of all this stupid, silly, petty, whatever it is that's keeping us from moving forward into what God's called us to be. And let's take that step of faith. Let's take advantage of the opportunity. The shortness of life is the strongest argument for making the best use of every opportunity that God gives us. Life, church, this applies to us as a corporate body of believers. We've got to take advantage of what God has given to us we got to redeem the time. Amen. I've wasted so much time in my life. I need to make it up. Amen. I need to walk circumspectly and carefully. I can't afford to just drift. I can't afford to make stupid steps. Let my eyes be open. Let God's spirit guide and direct me because I am a child of light. Amen. Praise the Lord. Life is short. And also it says in verse 16, the days are evil. The point here is, In Paul's time, it meant that Roman persecution was on the way, and they had a little time to work before the persecution came. They had a little window of opportunity. The days are evil, and it's foolish for us to waste opportunities to win the lost when soon those opportunities might be taken away by the advances of sin in our society. When God gives us a chance, let's redeem God. Amen we got to walk in light because I can't afford to be wandering around in darkness here. I can't afford to be uh, stumbling and making mistakes and fumbling around when God's given open doors to us and opportunities to us in these last days. How many believe we're living in an evil day? We're living in a day where our time is limited and it's short. And If the days were evil when Paul wrote this letter, what must their condition be today in 2008? Another reason why we should walk circumspectly. Verse 17a, Wherefore be ye not unwise, but understanding. God has given us a mind. God's given you a brain. Use it. A mind is a terrible thing to waste. Amen? A mind is a terrible thing to waste. The word understanding here suggests that using our mind suggests that we should use our mind to discover and do the will of God. There's too many Christians that think, well, I'll find out God's will in some mysterious experience where a little birdie will come down and talk in my ear or God will speak to me through some utterance in my inner being. And all of this rules out clear thinking. And some people think they're hearing from God and they say something that's totally stupid. Totally stupid. All they have to do is use their common sense, and they realize that they just had a bad burrito. Come on now. This is not God speaking to you. The idea that that discovering God's will is some mysterious experience is wrong, and it can be dangerous. We discover the will of God as he transforms our mind through the power of his spirit. Romans 12, 1. Be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. This happens. God renews our mind and we begin to see truth and understand. This transformation is the result of spending time in the Word of God. That's what's been happening for the last 45 to 50 minutes. You have had your minds renewed and transformed by the Word of God. So if I've done my job tonight, you're going to leave out of here thinking a little differently than you did when you walked in here. Not because of me, but because of God's Word. God's Word changes and transforms the way that we think so we can find the will of God and understand His will for our lives. Trying to find the will of God outside the Word of God is a futile effort. Amen? Through the Word of God, through prayer, meditation, and worship, Letting our mind be transformed so that the will of God can be made known unto us. God gave you a mind. He expects you to use it. Amen? So this means that learning includes gathering facts, examining them, weighing them out, praying for God's wisdom. Amen? uh, James 1.5, Any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God. I promise, I I pray that prayer at least two or three times every week. God, you promised that if I lack wisdom, you'll give it to me. I need it right now. Help me. I believe you're going to do it. I'm asking you with faith. Help me make this decision. Help me weigh out the options and make a decision. Don't use your brain. You let your mind be transformed. Come on now. And then you learn to weigh out decisions of life based on the word of God. Amen. And based on the mind that God gave you. A lot of people make stupid decisions and they blame it on God. And it makes me mad, frankly. God does not want us simply to know his will. He wants us to understand his will. Praise the Lord. Amen. The final reason why we ought to walk in wisdom is because God has a plan for your life. Do you believe that? And do you believe that God has a plan for your life? God has a plan. Understanding what the will of the Lord is. Amen. Hallelujah. If God saved me, he has a purpose for my life. And I should discover that purpose and then guide my life accordingly. God has a purpose. He's put something in me and I want my life to be guided by God accordingly. He reveals this plan for my life, first of all, through His Word. The Word of God makes plain to me, amen, what His plan is. Through His Holy Spirit that He put inside of me so that I would know the plan of God and also the working circumstances sometimes God uses to help us understand what His plan is for our life. Amen? So the Christian can walk carefully and accurately because he knows what God wants him to do the times are short the days are evil we should be wise and understand what the will of God is for us and just like a builder that follows the blueprint that's laid out we find out what does God want to do with my life and what is my next step in seeing God's will fulfilled in my life what is the next step God what do I need to do amen being led of the spirit letting God guide and direct our lives being led by his word and letting him use our mind that he's given to us amen to help uh, uh, create as we always, always, always keep it fresh in our understanding that it's not by might nor by power nor by men's wisdom but by the power of God by the spirit of God hallelujah praise the Lord God has a plan for our lives so we ought to walk amen walk in love Everybody say, walk in love. Walk in the light, not in the darkness. Everybody say, walk in light. And finally, walk in wisdom instead of foolishness. Walk in wisdom. Amen. God has, and, and it all boils down to this. Why do we do this? Because we're imitating our Father. Because we're imitating our Father. Our Father is love, so we walk in love. Our Father is light. There is no shadow. There is no variableness. No shadow of turning. Nothing evil. Nothing impure. Nothing questionable in the character of God. I want to be like my God. So I've got to reject works of darkness and walk in light because I am light. Amen. Praise God. And because my Father's that way. And finally, there's no wisdom in this world that can measure up to the wisdom of God. And I want to walk in wisdom. I don't want to live just a sloppy, haphazard, whatever comes my way type of a life. But I want to walk in wisdom. Letting God's spirit direct me and finding that delicate balance. I want you to say the word balance. The most important word in living for God is balance. Knowing how to trust God's directing and instinct, spirit, even when it doesn't make sense. And knowing how to measure our decisions with good human reasoning that God gave us as well. Knowing how to balance, amen? Knowing how to balance. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Now, next week, we'll be finishing uh, the chapter number five. It's an awesome study as I was studying both of these. I just wanted to skip the first part and get to the second part because it's exciting. Even though what we heard tonight is very, very important in the next session Section We will talk about walking in harmony, and Paul deals with the relationships of life, relationships in marriage and in family, and how life in Christ can bring heaven right into your household, right into your home. Amen. You know, that's the cool thing about the home. The home is supposed to be in a Christian life a little taste of heaven, a little sample of what heaven is going to be like a hate, a rest, and we'll talk about that next week. Let's stand together. Hallelujah, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. If it's appropriate, I want you to reach over and pray for the person next to you right now as we close in prayer.